Welcome to Technovation. I'm your host, Peter High. I'm pleased to welcome Mamtha Chamarthi to the broadcast. Mamtha is the software business and product management PL leader at Stellantis, a post that she took on in April of 2021. Stellantis was formed in 2021 on the basis of a 50 50 cross border merger between the Italian American conglomerate Fiat Chrysler Automobiles and the French PSA Group. The combined entity has a bit more than $200 billion in annual revenue. Prior to her current role, Mamtha was the Chief Digital Officer and Chief Information Officer of the company. She's the past CIO of Fiat Chrysler Automobiles and Consumers Energy and the past CDO of ZF Group as well. She serves on the boards of Champion X and Health Alliance Plan. And her journey from CIO to CDO to PL leader to board member is an aspirational journey that I believe others should look to follow. But first, a word from our sponsor, QuickBase, and the company's Chief Executive Officer, Ed Jennings. QuickBase is a low-code application development platform focused on citizen automation, and Ed wanted to share how the company helps organizations democratize automation. Ed, over to you. At QuickBase, our mission is to unlock the potential of organizations to adapt and innovate at speed. We do this by empowering business technologists within organizations to leverage low-code, no-code, to visually build their own applications, click and drag, integrate across their existing systems, and eliminate manual and clumsy processes by writing their own workflow automations. As we see more technology responsibilities shifting to the business, here are the top three ways that CIOs can unlock the potential of their own businesses to adapt and innovate faster. One, empower a culture of innovation where every member of the team feels responsible for building and innovating digital solutions. Two, build a practice of citizen automation in your company, build our governance frameworks and communities of practice. And three, equip the team with the right citizen automation tools. My name is Ed Jennings, and I'm the CEO of QuickBase. I look forward to sharing how we've helped over 5,000 enterprises mature their citizen automation programs. And now on to the interview. Amantha, welcome. It's great to speak with you today. Peter, it's very nice speaking to you. I've uh, read so many of the columns that you have written with uh, some of my colleagues, and it's quite an honor and a humbling experience to go through this interview with you. Well, you're very kind to mention it. The honor is certainly mine. Well, let's begin with your uh, very interesting, and I might add unusual, uh, new role as the software business and product management PNL leader. I mentioned before, you have a history in the CIO and CDO ranks. Talk a bit about this new set of responsibilities and what it entails, as I understand it, a new role uh, within Stellantis. It's unusual, but it is kind of becoming a, quite a trend with uh, information technology leaders taking on um, business roles and taking on PL roles. Um, when I started in the automotive industry, IT, information technologies, was so much back office. Um, so this was in the late 90s. And now, if you look at our product, Technology is front and center. So technology leaders like me are being asked to take on these uh, business roles, which are enabled by technology. And that's exactly what my uh, role uh, is all about. It's exciting to be driving and shaping the automotive industry in this macro trend of autonomy, electrification, um, connected services and shared mobility, all of them are enabled by software, are all enabled by technology. 
So it only makes sense, complete sense to me that technology leaders are being asked to come lead it from the front than leading from behind. Very interesting. And I, you know, I'd love to dive into some of the themes you've already talked about, the connected car, uh, electrification, uh, autonomous driving. Uh, maybe we can dive into each of those in brief and talk about some of your perspectives and what Stellantis is doing relative to those, those uh, various topics. Absolutely. Let's start with autonomy. When you look at uh, the number of fatalities that happen across the world, um, 1.2 million people get killed every year in, um, in car crashes, in some kind of a transportation-related accident. And last year in the US, there was a 7% increase. Usually it is around 30, 32,000 people that get killed in car accidents. And last year it was 38,000. So autonomy is not some cool, fancy technology that lets you be a lot more productive in the car while the car is driving itself. That is levels four and five of autonomy where you're hands are off the steering, your foot is off the accelerator and the brake, and your mind is completely off the driving, and you're sitting and doing whatever makes you productive, whether you want to watch a movie or uh, do a video conference, like just like what we're doing here. I could be sitting in a car with a level four, five autonomy and be talking to you from the car. But before we get to levels four and five, there are multiple levels, which is levels one to three that augment the human driver. And when I talk to you about the 1.2 million deaths, 95% of them are caused by a human error. Augmenting human intelligence itself will reduce that number radically. So there is a bigger, broader purpose and a societal challenge that we are going after with autonomy. And giving all those people back to their families is a bigger purpose that we as the automotive industry, we are trying to solve. And that's why the technology industry is also so fascinated uh, with this area of autonomy. And since it is all software led, they want to bring in that perspective of how the car and transportation can be defined by software, enabled by hardware. So it's a great marriage between the tech industry and the automotive industry coming together the, to solve this problem, not just of autonomy, but of electrification of connected services and also shared mobility. When I go into electrification, two to three years ago, I was in New Delhi at an international transportation conference. And that day I had to wear a mask because the pollution was so high in New Delhi the air quality was really very poor and the visibility was almost like a whiteout condition in Michigan. Last year, during the pandemic, I had many of my friends send me pictures from New Delhi where the air was really cleaner and people could see visibly even far away mountain ranges. So we know without any data, with just that picture alone to two years, my experience when I connect those two, that transportation is the biggest contributor to air pollution. And we have to find an answer to reducing the carbon footprint because that's, that's again, 
part of our responsibility to see a cleaner, greener earth and leave a cleaner, greener planet for future generations. So that's electrification, that's autonomy and shared mobility. I have a similar kind of a story. We buy a car is the second most expensive thing that we buy after a house. And how much, what percentage of the time do we use it? 7% maybe at, at best. So 93% of the time it's sitting on a driveway or in a garage or a parking lot. So what in our digital economy, what happens with an underutilized asset? We find some creative, innovative ways of using that asset. And that's what gave birth to ride hailing shared mobility. And with Stellantis, we have launched our own free to move, which is you're free to um, lease or own a mobility experience for a few minutes to, to a few hours, to days, to months, to a couple of years. Um, insurance is included, maintenance is included. So mobility as a service kind of a model. In our entire, when you look at this mobility as a service, we're not just thinking about our entire car portfolio, we're expanding it to our competitors' car portfolio. So this is, is this competition or cooperation? That's also an interesting kind of a concept. Yeah. Uh, that, and connected is a, connected and connectivity. Two completely different things for me. Connectivity is that car getting connected to the cloud, to the environment around it. And connected services, once the car is connected, what kind of experiences that I can deliver? Can I personalize the driving experience of the customer all the way to can I personalize if our customer is taking our Jeep on an off-road trail, can I plan an end-to-end -end trail experience for my customer, not just with the car, before they go on the off-road trail, what is it that they need, all the way from education to accessories, how can I help them plan it? And during the trail, similar to a cruise line, um, onshore experiences, what can I offer during the trail experiences and help also capture the memories? And after the off-roading is done, how can I package all of these memories and make it such a memorable experience that they want to get to the next level of difficulty of off-roading? Wow, these are really phenomenal and innovative ideas that you have and ones that will make for a better customer experience while, as you, you suggest, save lives, save lives in the immediate term once autonomy is, is more fully there, but in the longer term uh, due to air quality, for example, uh, really remarkable innovations that that uh, you and your colleagues are bringing to life. But Mamtha, um, I want to go back to your point about coopetition and the ecosystem that is necessary to build in order to bring to life what you have described. Um, I can only imagine that if someone were to tell you in the late '90s when you entered this industry that this would be the these would be the things you'd be focused on uh, in 2021. That you perhaps you would have believed them, but you would have it would, the 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 distance between where uh, car companies were then and what is possible today is quite a distance to travel indeed. And so, talk a bit about um, some of those changes, those partnerships, the broader ecosystem that uh, must be engaged in order to bring it bring to life what you've described. I think uh, these macro trends that are disrupting our industry. This is not just about looking at each of these trends in isolation. 
but there is a convergence that's happening that needs a, a lot of investment. And it needs a lot of expertise coming from the technology world, not just the mechanical engineering expertise, not just the electronics expertise that we have invested in the last couple of decades, but it needs a lot of uh, technology and software expertise. And that's where I feel like this uh, is an ecosystem that we have to uh, establish. Every company needs to establish an ecosystem. And this e ecosystem is no longer about closed innovation. The more we can crowdsource innovation, the better the quality of ideas. And all, it all starts with having a bigger purpose of what is the broader societal challenge are we going to be addressing with this ecosystem? And even the younger talent, when they look at this kind of an open innovation, having this uh, bigger purpose that we are trying to solve for the planet, they'll get attracted to companies like us. And that's exactly what Stellantis is doing right now, is we are creating an ecosystem, not only partnering with technology companies like Amazon, like Google. So we partner with Waymo for autonomy. And we're also partnering with uh, BMW, another traditional automaker just like us. But uh, to create our level two to level three, level two plus is what we call it, level two plus enhanced autonomy to level three, which is where your hands are, hands are off the steering wheel, your eyes are off the road for some time, and your feet are off the accelerator and brake. So where you have adaptive cruise control, emergency braking, um, you have traffic jam assist. So this is an ecosystem that it's not just with technology companies, we are creating an ecosystem with um, existing automakers too, to accelerate addressing this disruption, to accelerate that bigger, broader purpose that I've talked about, reducing the death rate uh, because of accidents. Uh, uh, creating a cleaner earth. Um, so when it comes to technology companies, as you know, Peter, they have financial flexibility because their multiples are completely different compared to an automotive company. So when you bring an automotive company that understands and knows for years and years how to prioritize focus areas, and you have technology companies that come with a broader financial flexibility, that gives the right kind of an investment and prioritization to, to go after solving these challenges or opportunities. And the more attractive we can make the purpose, the more uh, talent, whether it is talent, younger talent that comes uh, to us in the form of employees or talent in terms of startups that want to come and work with us or talent in terms of tech companies that want to come and work with us or talent in terms of traditional automakers that want to partner with us. So it's a broad range of talent. Yeah, very interesting. I want to stick with autonomy for a moment longer. And thank you so much for your description of some of the differences in terms of the levels of it. I think some of us tend to think of it as, a, as one thing that we're heading towards, but there really are stair steps, as you mentioned, along the way, uh, innovations that need to be put in place and tested and used that then might lead to the next next level, as you, as you uh, stated it. How far are we for away from what you described as level four or five? Is that something that you know we, we will be seeing in the in the coming few years? Is it still decades away based upon the the innovation and even the regulatory changes that might be necessary in order to bring it to reality? 
I wish I had a magic crystal ball in my hand <laughs> uh, to predict uh, uh, full autonomy. Full autonomy is when uh, is uh, when we don't even need a driver's license. So imagine a world when we don't have to go through driver's training, driver's education, or not even have a driver's license. Um, I think uh, two, three years ago, there was a lot more optimism in predicting when we would get to level four and five autonomy as mainstream. So there were uh, forecasts that by 2021, we would see levels four and five as mainstream. I think, uh, should we look back and say we were wrong? I think we could definitely say that. But at the same time, the advances that we have made with levels, levels two and three. And you'd see many of the mass market products that are in the, um, that are in the market today coming from Stellantis or other competition. They, most of them have level two functionality. So these are all assisting the driver. And when you go to level three, um, even if uh, the driver were, you know, just went through the driver, driver's ed and they're getting into a car and they really do not, have not had the experience or imagine and uh, someone who has lost uh, a part of their sight, they don't have the same kind of visibility. So these are some end use cases that we are looking at to see how we can prevent an accident from happening and how can we augment their driving intelligence. And the very first step is that the car should be able to come to an emergency uh, stop before the accident happens. So that's why the emergency brake um, is the most, is the most, uh, someone asked me years ago, what is the best innovation you've seen? And that for me is like the best innovation because it saves lives. Mm -hmm. And so it, how far are we? We have demonstrations of levels five, four and five today that are available. Um, in geo-defined areas, you could do level four and five with a lot of ease because there is a lot of predictability. Um, when you start intermingling or co-mingling human-driven versus machine-driven. So if it is all machine-driven, every machine, including the traffic lights, are communicating their intent to each other and they're being resolved in real time and everything flows very smoothly. While there is a human is when we are in the driver's seat, we are trying to predict the intent of the person based on our previous experience. There is no machine that's sitting there telling us whether it is going to go through a lane change. So in this kind of a co-mingled situation, it becomes very hard to bring levels four and five with a human driver. There, there's a lot more advancement that we need to see in technology. So we are mainstream today with level, level two. Pretty soon we will see mainstream with level three. And levels four and five need, the first thing is in mass market, the technology should be affordable. 
the regulation should enable, similar to electrification, uh, with uh, electrification and range anxiety, there is autonomous anxiety with drivers and with passengers. And there's a lot more education. That's why it's a stair step to getting to mainstream. So it's not just even if it becomes affordable and the technology is there and the regulation is there, will the human adapt? So is a bigger question that we are uh, asking ourselves and how can we educate them and how can we make them comfortable? For example, in our level two, in my Alfa Romeo Stelvio that I drive, um, when it goes on to active driver assist, I can see the cues that are presented to me that the car is using active driver assist on the freeway. So it is driving itself. It doesn't need, I'm only touching the steering wheel, but it is able to make the turns and everything. So it's giving me visual cues in saying what it is doing. So it is giving me confidence. I'm handling it. You don't have to worry about the intelligence and the choices that I'm making. So the, these kind of visual cueing with levels uh, two, three will also make the human that's uh, holding the steering wheel more and more comfortable to go to levels four and five. A pretty long answer to a simple question. I, I think it's not that simple a question, clearly, as that points out. And I really appreciate the level of detail that you provide and even the psychological aspect of this that humans will have to get over in order to fully trust uh, autonomy um, to a greater degree among the, the the various insights you provided there. Thank you, Mumfa. Um, yeah, I, I, personally, when I drive my Stelvio on the highway, I have a bit of anxiety. And I'm hmm. always like cognizant of, uh, you know, trying to take control of the car when I'm not comfortable. Even though I know we are the ones doing the software and the car will do excellent. Right, exactly. And it's also interesting because, you know, in the grand scheme of things, there have been very, very few accidents of, of uh, cars that were in autonomous mode, but they were enormous headlines. Whereas you point out more than a million people perish annually, th those are rarely headlines. Um, and so the, the disparity between that can really kind of... Um, make the potential danger of this you know, much greater than it actually is as a result of of the fact that those headlines become, you know, really part of the national dialogue. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it's very interesting. I, I again, appreciate you shedding light on that. I wanted to also ask you, yours is such an interesting story um, and, and your growth as a professional. You were born in India. You've lived around the world. You had a four-year stint in Germany. Uh, you're based now in the U.S., but for a company that spans the world, uh, you really are truly a global citizen. And I wonder how that experience in so many different places has informed your leadership style. It's a great question. I always tell people I was born in India. I worked with German companies the longest. So some of my thinking is so influenced. The leadership style in terms of thinking black and white is so influenced by German thinking. Um, and uh, being uh, with American automotive companies for the longest time, I love beautifully styled cars, like the ones that you're seeing as my background. Um, so I think that is, uh, that, that is the kind of uh, uh, global thinking that I bring to the table. When uh, at ZF, I was the chief digital officer. We were looking at going from a mechanical engineering company that started providing gearboxes to Zeppelins 
and then pivoted to be becoming an automotive supplier 90 years ago. And we said, we want to be a software-centric company. And how do we do that? Um, coming with that kind of a global mindset, I quickly was able to open talent hubs for us, range all the way from Silicon Valley to Shanghai to Israel, India, and accelerating the software-centric transformation and creating almost kind of a playbook for such global thinking for companies and for companies to become more customer-centric. Now I'm implementing a similar kind of a playbook uh, at Stellantis, that talent, um, gone are those days where we are in certain headquarter locations and talent comes to that headquarter location. We have to go to where talent is today. And when you look at uh, Israel, they're really very good, not only in their startup culture, but uh, really great with cybersecurity. Um, so when you want, when you're looking at that kind of a talent, you know that you want to go to Israel in search of that talent. You want someone uh, with uh, quite a bit of entrepreneurial thinking, look no farther than uh, Silicon Valley, because that's where most of the commercialization of uh, uh, new technologies and new innovation happens even to this day. Um, again, Shanghai, China is a world in its own and they define their own rules. So I think understanding China and how you have to uh, change the product to meet the expectations of the customer. And in Europe and in China, electrification is very important. They are taking more kind of a, a leaders in electrification compared to North America. North America is catching up very fast. Um, so, but when, when it comes to B2C kind of trends, China is farther along. And when you think from that kind of a global mindset, can we introduce the B2C technologies first in China as a sandbox? to try them out before you bring them to North America or Europe. And that's kind of our strategy. Um, so tap into the strength of the different parts of the world and bring that diversity of talent to the table. And that is also the uniqueness of Stellantis. When you look at Stellantis, um, unlike many other companies, we truly have a global leadership talent that's sitting at the table. And we are leveraging that talent to make decisions so that we make really good balanced decisions versus, uh, you know, leaning too American or too German. We have a very good diverse leadership talent. Well, I thought I appreciate that. And I'd like to cover diversity in a different, uh, different way, if I may, as well. You are part of a slow growing trend of technology executives who are women. And um, I wonder if you maybe could take just a couple of minutes and reflect on, on that journey with a special sort of um, lens to uh, how to create greater opportunities such that um, what, what's been a trickle historically might become a flood of, of women who follow in your footsteps. I think one of the noted things that I noticed even during the pandemic, um, leaders who were deeply empathetic and companies that were empathetic and understanding what their communities were going through, what their customers were going through, were a lot more successful 
And women have this as a natural talent, empathy. So I think you will see a lot more uh, proliferation of women leaders, given that um, the pandemic has shown customers also would like to work with companies that are not just looking after their profitability and their own success, but are looking after um, the communities that they participate in. For example, we got such great press in the market when Stellantis and when uh, previous Fiat Chrysler, we started making masks when they, those were you know, in a great shortage across the world. And we took one of our plants in China and then we converted into a mask making uh, a plant and we started then donating these masks all over the world. We started making ventilator parts. Um, then uh, we knew that many, uh, many children in underprivileged communities go to school for one square meal a day. And we started reaching out to these communities and providing these uh, kids meals. And we have crossed, I don't know, about 5 million meals that we have provided. And I know that it's not enough. It's a, just a drop in the bucket. But this is what women leaders bring, this empathy. Empathy, uh, uh, not just for the customer experience, but empathy to do um, uh, better things for the communities that we participate in. So that's something right from the get-go as uh, um, a woman. I don't, I don't know if I've thought about myself so much as a, a, a women leader, um, but I always challenged the status quo and I always asked deeper questions about when I first started, I was asked to write a small program for a government affairs department of Chrysler Corporation to track tax incentives for federal and uh, state government tax incentives that we got. And I asked the question, why? Why are we, why are you asking me to do this? And then I said, can I go and job shadow government affairs? Let me do that for a couple months and try to understand their business before I automate this with some kind of programming. And then in 1996, I made the government affairs office end-to-end -end completely paperless. So I, my advice to anyone that wants to get into a leadership role is to think about not just what you're asked to do, but think about what you're asked to do, how is it aligned to where, what the business wants to do and how important is it for the society. And when you align all of these things, then automatically growth happens for you. And be bold, take risks, the bigger the risks. Um, you know, sometimes you fail when you take big risks, but I think that's okay. Those. Uh, are great lessons in improving yourself and advancing fa through failures. Um, I have learned a lot more. And this is not just a cliched statement that everyone makes. You know, did you learn more from your failures or your successes? Of course, there is a great joy in the success. But um, yes, there are failures are very painful, but you learn quite a bit. And that, that really accelerates your uh, growth. Oh, what, a, what a great answer. I really appreciate you sharing that, Mamtha. But before I let you go, uh, uh, perhaps you could talk a bit about, uh, especially for those who can't see it, uh, who will be listening to this in our podcast, 
uh, introduce the car that's behind you right now. I know that it's one of your favorites from among the Stellantis portfolio. So in 1998, I became an employee of Chrysler, Chrysler Corporation, right before Chrysler merged with Daimler. So one of the first town halls that I attended, um, our CEO back then was Jim Holden. He came to the town hall in a red uh, wiper. And I told myself that one day I would own that wiper that he came in. <laughs> I don't know if I have the exact car. I don't think I have the exact car, uh, but I have a 1998 second generation Dodge Viper um, and uh, GTS. And it's one of my favorite cars that I love driving. And the engineers have done such a beautiful job. Um, it's, um, it's a Viper. And when you sit in the car and you uh, accelerate it, you can hear the hissing noise of a snake. Very interesting. Very interesting indeed. <laughs> well, I can, I can tell from this and even a, a past conversation with you, the, Mamta, that uh, the auto industry is really in your in your blood. You 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 love cars and you love uh, you know advances in cars. In, in addition to some nostalgia, clearly, given the nineteen ninety eight car that you uh, you also enjoy driving. But um, Mamta Shamarthi, thank you so much for, for a really insightful, deeply insightful uh, conversation about the future of Stellantis uh, and more generally speaking, the future of driving and some of the remarkable innovations that you and your team are working on. I appreciate you also shedding some light on your own career journey, uh, your perspectives uh, about the pathways for leadership for people, generally speaking, uh, women more specifically as well. As I say, it's been a great conversation and an honor to include you uh, uh, in our in our podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Peter.